Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. Amen. That's right. I love seeing those kind of things to just give us a big picture. Because we need that sometimes, don't we? Sometimes we've got to stand back, and that just plays right into what I want to share with you today. And that's the title of my message is, What Was God Thinking? What was God thinking? And next week, I want to talk to you about what God is thinking about now. But I want to talk about what, is, what was God thinking when he did certain things with his people. And of course, I can't cover it all, but I want to focus on a couple of things here today. So, but in Genesis chapter 37 through 50, and, and if you've been reading through the Bible, you read through that section already. And what we find in there is one of the greatest stories of the Bible. I'm awed by it every single time I read it. From the story of Joseph, we can deduce you know, several aspects of who God is and what he is thinking, what he did, and, and we can draw from that. But I just want to just comment on that again, that how powerful that story is. It really is one of the greatest stories ever told, other than Christ himself and his story. But what we see take place there, you know, Joseph, he's the son of Jacob's great love, Rachel. He's favored by Jacob. You see it played out. And whenever you have favoritism, what do you have on the other side? You have hatred. The brothers are jealous of him. They want to kill him. But he receives dreams that we can only assume that he knows are from God. But with pride, he shares them with his family. And of course, that was disaster. He's rebuked by his father saying, you know, look, even you, are you going to rule over your family? In the end, he's sold into slavery, isn't he? He suffers the loss of freedom for the rest of his life. He rises up in that difficulty, though, because of God's favor and because of the character that comes to the fore from Joseph's life. His call and his character are worked together to bring forth God's plan. And we see in Joseph's call, we see also God doing some amazing, amazing things. Ultimately, Abraham's promise. And sometimes when you get so far away from the center of God's purpose, and you've been there, we've all been there, when you just feel like you've taken so many different rabbit trails and you've gone way off of the highway, if you will, and you begin to just think, what am I doing here? What's going on in my life? Why is this happening? And so we can lose the forest for the trees, as they say. And certainly Joseph experienced that. There he is, sitting in a jail cell, in a prison, actually a dungeon. I mean, it's not like he got three hots in a cot, right? He was sitting in a stinky, smelly, nasty dungeon. And yet in the middle, and it you know, wouldn't have been interesting, and maybe we'll be able to talk to Joseph one day about it. What, what did you feel, Joseph? I, we can only surmise right now that he was despondent, that he was full of fear, that he was like, what happened to all these dreams? Okay, what are you doing? And so he came to that place. God, what are you thinking? What are you doing? And so in this story, I want to just pick three what I would call theological perspective, perspectives, things that we can apply to our life right now. 
And, and, and that's important, I think. I, I think that when we go through that, you, you, we could spend the rest of our life just breaking down that story. And to be honest with you, because it's one of my favorite, I've done that. I mean, I, I keep going back to that story over and over again, and I've preached on it. I've taught whole series through it. And I tell you, it just, it just keeps getting deeper for me. So I just want to share three quick things, though, that I think can help us, help you. Number one, what we see about what God was thinking is this. Number one, God plans ahead, okay? God plans ahead. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows both. And when we think about God, that's, that, that, I think that is the first thing that happens to us is we begin to put upon God just the human fail, frailties, the human limitations upon him. We shape him in our likeness rather than the other way around. And so we begin to diminish God and that he's a confused professor. He's up there trying to figure out this world. He's scratching his, heads, his head about Adolf Hitler. He's scratching his head about what's going on in the world. He can't figure out what's going on. No, 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 no. That's not what the Bible tells us. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He knows what happens well beyond what our scientists can figure out in the beginning and he knows exactly what's going to happen at the end of human history and the beginning of eternity. I love studying science, as you know. And, you know, sometimes you get those little neat things when they talk about the universe. And, and to me, you know, human minds are blown and they want to just say, look, your, your, your faulty religion just disappears when you think of the billions and billions of galaxies that are filled with billions and billions of stars and I just look at it and say, no way. That just shows me how much more amazing my God is and how much bigger than our human little brains can figure out. See, most humans think that time is a natural phenomenon that can't be predicted, that we're just kind of in this, this clock that is winding down or winding up, depending on their view, or just winding over and over again. The earth and all its inhabitants are in some kind of a runaway train with no predetermined outcome. And so it's just like you got the, 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 the bumper sticker, right, that says stuff happens. You got, you got everybody out there just living and, hey, you know, we're just going to be annihilated. When we die, we just disappear. And that, 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 it's a very popular thinking. But in Job chapter 25, verse 2, it says this, dominion. And awe belong to God. Awe. I mean, we like to say the word awesome. Well, that's God's word. That was God's word first. We like to say something's awesome, but when you think of God, he is the awesome. And everything he's, he does is the only awesome. It belongs to God. And he established order. This is going back to Job 25 too. He establishes order in the heights of heaven. He establishes it. He established and he establishes, which is a beautiful theological perspective, my friends, an understanding that God knows the end from the beginning. Look at Deuteronomy 10, 14. To the Lord, your God, belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. God, it belongs to him. We could say he owns it, he created it, it's his idea. 
And wouldn't it make sense that those who fear God, love God, come to God, would be the ones that he would reveal his awesome secrets to? Of course. Again, from Scripture, when we think about comparing how man thinks and, and, and who God is, we learn this, that God tells Moses, he says, he gives him his name. Remember, Moses comes before him in Exodus chapter 3, and he says, who am I going to take? Because he says, go back and rescue my people, these people that, that uh, Joseph had rescued and placed into this, this wonderful, this cocoon, if you will, this place where they could thrive for 400 years, even though it ended up in slavery. Moses is going to go set them free. It's time for them to be broken loose and go into their fulfillment, come into the preparation, the next stage of God's people. So Moses is like, who are you? We've only heard about you. I mean, it's been 400 years since we heard about, you know, uh, all the wonderful things that you did for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who are you? Who am I to tell tell him it's coming because it's all about the name? And he says, I am. That's who you tell him it's coming. I'm it. It can also be translated, I will be what I will be. He says, I am what I am, but he says, I will be what I will be. That's awesome nuance in the Hebrew, by the way. You know why I like that? It's because who God is and what God does are one. God never ceases to become God. He doesn't forget about being God. And most certainly, after 400 years, the people were there wondering, where are you? Who are you? What are you thinking? Do you feel that way sometimes? Sure you do. We all do. He says, I will be what I will be. I am who I am. I don't have a name that you guys, that it really matters. The whole point is, to him, a name has no, I mean, a name confines him. See, I got a name. You have a name. My name happens to be beloved of God. I kind of like my name. And, and it gives us a purpose. It gives us meaning. It gives us kind of something. But God, he says, look, one name doesn't do it which is why the, the whole Old Testament is full of revelation, covenant upon covenant, of God revealing his name, by the way. But you'll notice that his name is all about, I will be what I will be. I do what I do. That's cool stuff right there. So God knows all things. Therefore, every thought he has is based on eternal knowledge about everything. You know how we make plans, we think? I mean, I mean, just if you've got your smartphone, if you've got something planned today, what are you going to do? You're going to check the what? You're going to check the weather. I mean, we live in a, a totally cool time where, my gosh, we have Wikipedia. We have, I mean, in this one little phone, we can check so many things. No longer do you sit at the table with your wife and say, man, what was, who sung that song? We don't do that anymore. You can just hold up your phone and it'll tell you. Well, that's, you know, Elvis Presley singing, you know, whatever. Who's he? Anyway. Ha, 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 ha. All right. Actually, I got a good friend whose favorite favorite musician was Elvis Presley. I was like, really? Wow. We need to evaluate our friendship, man. No, I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. So God knows everything, and everything he does, everything he plans, everything that goes on is based on knowledge of everything. So he doesn't make a bad decision, does he? Ever. Even when we have all the facts, 
or what we think are facts. We make a decision, and then you're still going, man, I did all my research. I did everything. That never happens to God, ever, because he knows the end from the beginning. In Israel's case, his son Joseph was chosen. Now, Israel in, the, in, in Jacob named to, uh, to Israel, the, the person, Israel the person. His son Joseph was chosen to be savior of his people through suffering, through the building of character, and eventually victory. Hindsight's 2020, right? So when we're in the middle of this story, we would say this. God, you are unfaithful. You gave him a dream. You got this boy's hopes up. This poor little guy. His brothers threw him in a hole. He was sold to Ishmaelites. He was sold into slavery. And he, he, he you know, he, he suffered his life was taken away, and you just want to go, God, why would you do that? Except that God had bigger plans. Later, Joseph knows it, and he weeps when he sits back and sees. No one understood better who God was and who God is and what God was thinking than Joseph himself. At that moment, he realized that he had rescued his family. Mm. You know, we talked about answered prayer last week, and we talked about how, at the very end, you know, does God guarantee our safety? Does God guarantee happiness every day? Well, it's funny, because as I read through the four Gospels, I don't come away with that idea. I come away with more of, you know what, the more kingdom road you take, the more you really enter into an eternal plan that does not always mean happiness for me. It may in the end. But see, when you're looking at a God who sees the long range, I mean, I used to, I used to you know, cough my lungs out in you know, two-a-day football practices. And I'd be at the end of that time thinking, please, someone kill me. I remember looking at my coach, and I couldn't talk, and I was like, kill me now. Because it seems to be in your heart that that's what you want to do. And sometimes we think about that with God. God, kill me now. Why are you letting me go through this? Why are you doing this to me? But God says, I've got bigger plans. I'm deepening you. I'm causing your roots to go deeper if you'll just understand. Don't give up on me because if you don't give up on me, then it's all going to make an eternal sense. You'll get it. God plans ahead. God knows us. God forewarned Abraham of the dark days that were coming when the Egyptians would enslave his descendants. And most certainly, Abraham would have passed that down. In the end, that time of slavery was not, it should not have been a surprise. And I don't think it was. I think they realized, oh, this is what Abraham was talking about. Mm, this is bad. Thus began the prophecy of the anointed one who would come and rescue them, which has always been a part of Israel's history, by the way, and now ours. But that's next week. So what does this story tell us? When we think of Jacob, we think of what God had to do. You know, that God gives us prophetic inklings of what is to come because he knows the end of the story. He knows the end of the story. God plans ahead. God knows your history. God has a hope and a future for you and me. 
when we lose sight of it, it's because we have lost sight of God. Number two, God plans, God's plans involve everything. Now, this may seem redundant, redundant, but just hang in there. His plans involve everything. He works within the hearts of men and women to bring forth his unstoppable will. Because this is the natural question, right? How does God work within the hearts of men? When you know, we're sentient beings, we, we've got you know, free will and all of this. But even then, God works within that. How? Well, thanks for asking, I'll tell you. Joseph didn't have the maturity to know that he shouldn't share his dreams with his jealous brothers, did he? But his active pride played right into God's plans. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? You think, here's Joseph who's just so excited, and he's going, oh, I can't wait to tell my brothers, man. They're always digging on me. And I just got this awesome dream. Hey, guys, come here. And, and, and they're just looking at him going, oh, man, we can't, get to, we can't wait till we get you alone and in the open, buddy. God counted on it. God counted on that happening. Wow. His brothers, they wanted to kill poor Joseph. And if it wasn't for Reuben, Joseph's story would have not happened. It would have been a different story. God also counted on Reuben rising up and saying, no, 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 don't kill him. Just throw him in the hole. And when they saw him in the hole, they saw the Ishmaelites coming. And they said, oh, that's a better plan. Yeah, why, why spend the rest of our life being sad about killing our little brother? Yeah, that's probably a better plan. Let's just put him into slavery. And I'll tell you, doesn't that bother you? Sure it does. This kind of providence, when we think in terms of God using every single, you know, even the, the nasty plans of man play right into God's plan. Because our God knows the end from the beginning. Guess who else he knows really, really well? is Satan himself. Why? Because he made him. The anointed cherub, who used to be before the throne, who was cast to the earth because of pride, who would know him better than God, who would know that you say, you know what? This situation, I'm, I've got a lot of people to bring up. I've got to teach mankind using my methods. I've got to raise man up. I've got to cause them to grow in character. They've got to, in the end, be able to say, in awe, wow, our God is God. And how's he going to do that? except that along the way, men's hearts are exposed for what they are and what it is that's really inside us. Can you imagine being there? Who Joseph, whose eyes are all painted up, he doesn't look any, anything remotely like the brother they used to know. He's Egyptian. He's got the headpiece on. His eyes are painted. And whatever else they did to him, he's probably massive muscled up boy looking just awesome and they're just they're just in fear on their faces before their brother imagine the moment that he takes the, the cloth and because of the tears that have been running down his face he begins to wipe it all off and he takes the headpiece off and they see that dark dark jewish hair and go oh my goodness you're joseph hello surprise Initially, Joseph wanted to 
punish him, take revenge. Ah, that's what a lot of us would have done. Would have said, warm up the ovens, get out the lions. We would have done something like that. He didn't. Because Joseph automatically, through his suffering, through what he had gone through, as he's watching God reveal those dreams to him, as he sees him rescue him over and over again, launching him forth to being the second most powerful person in the greatest civilization on the planet, at the time, they begin, he, begin, he gets it. <laughs> wow, God, how could you do this? I now see what you're up to. You wanted to save my family the whole time. What was God thinking? God had a plan. God had something good. God used what the enemy was going to use. He even used because the famine that they experienced at that time was a judgment on the lands. Folks, the amount of idolatry, the amount of human sacrifice, the amount of infanticide, the amount of devil worship that was taking place during that time came up to God and it, and, and it destroyed even God's creation, bringing forth this famine, this judgment upon the planet. And God said, even in the midst of that, I will rescue my people. Even in the midst of that, even in that darkness, there will be a stump and from it will come a shoot. I'll tell you what, I mean, let the cogwheels roll inside you because sometimes we feel like that stump, don't we? We just feel like it's just all that we've grown has been based on on our selfishness, based on our wrong ways, based upon the choices in life we've made completely on our own without God, and God sets the ax to the root. And it comes down, and down comes all of what we've done in iniquity. And down it comes. And rather be crushed, God says, you know what? We're going to use this. We're going to use this. And he can, and he will. We see this at the cross. What the devil meant for evil in killing Jesus served to usher Christ right into the role of the unblemished sacrificial lamb. Satan was called in to play a part. And what he thought he was doing to destroy God's perfect creation was working right into the plans of God. I mean, there's so many amazing conclusions here. One of which is, whenever if you're a born-again, blood-bought believer, every time the enemy strikes against you, it can, if you await, you'll be patient, and you'll, and, and you'll, you'll extract it from There is an opportunity for the kingdom of God to go forward. If we'll just see it that way. I've been trying to live that way more in the last several years, ever in my life. I just like, you know what? I feel an upending in my soul. I feel an upending in my life. I see tragedy. I see struggle. I see battle. But I say, but wait a minute. I belong to God. And his purposes and his plan are yes and amen. He knows the end from the beginning. I don't... You run out of my house with my hair on fire going, ah! God doesn't know what he's doing. I don't know what I'm doing. What is going on here? I don't do that anymore. And neither should you. You should just settle in and just say, God, I don't know what you're up to, but I know you're good. I know you love me. 
I know that your plans, you know the end from the beginning. Somehow, what I'm going through right now is going to be used for your glory. Just help me be patient. Just help me to be patient. God's plans encompass everything. It's hard to fathom, I know, but that is where faith kicks in and complete trust, which is why the writers of the Bible over and over again just say, God, we don't, you're, you're beyond finding out, but this much we know. You are good, and we're going to follow you. It's like when the disciples, everybody started taking off when Jesus was saying the hard things. They're all taking off, and he looks at the, guy, the disciples and said, what about you guys? You're going to leave too? They said, well, can we go? You have the words of life. Number three, God's plans always prevail. God's plans always prevail. What looks like a disaster or a failure is a consequence of two things, at least. The earth is in upheaval from the fall and the great expectation of all creation awaiting redemption. Look at Romans chapter eight. For the creation was subjected, and that includes us, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. All of the earth, we're all tied up in this, folks. The earth itself, the dying tree, the wilting flower, the humans that live on this earth. We're all wrapped up in it. Decay and death was never the heart of God. But now that we see it playing out, it plays right under the hand of God because God now says, I am going to redeem it. I'm going to resurrect it from the dead. The time is coming. It tells us that the earth itself churns and yearns from that day when God will renew it. Same way with us. So what we see happening, the point is this. When we see failure and disaster, look, folks, this earth is falling apart. That much scientists know. They just don't understand that it's because of sin. Not because environmental issues. I mean, maybe that pays a part of it. But ultimately, it's because this earth is going to go away. It's going to decay, and it's waiting in birth pains for the time when it fully dies. And God says, I will now make a new heaven and a new earth and I'll put my people in it to enjoy it forever. Secondly, men and women are polarizing right now. They're choosing sides. They have all throughout time since the time of Christ, and even going all the way back to Adam and Eve. But right now, our time, we see it happening again. People choosing sides. The gray areas are disappearing. To be a Christian is scrutinized more and more on this earth. There are more Christians being put to death now than ever in our history. That's kind of hard to fathom, too, when we think of what was taking place during Rome, what, we were, what was taking place during the great persecutions of the post-Christian, uh, the post-crucifixion period. But literally, more Christians are dying now, mainly because there's more human beings on the earth. But folks, all throughout the earth, Christians are being martyred. They're dying. Just because it's not happening in your backyard doesn't mean it's not happening. And it's crouching at our door. 
Because people are finally getting to the point where they're just, because really the balance is beginning to, 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 we're sitting right on the line, and we have for about a decade, by the way, sitting right on this line of where are we going to go? Are we going to fall into the sides of fearing God and understanding why we were ever blessed as a nation in the first place? Or are we going to fall over into this Let's just let man do what man's going to do. Let's just, you know, we're tired of being held back from being able to have sex with, with or whatever we want to have. We're tired of being told what we shouldn't do. We don't want Ten Commandments in our courthouses. We don't want prayer in our schools. We don't want people telling us how we should, if we don't want any moral absolutes. Just let us do what we want and we'll be okay. When we know deep inside that is sure destruction. And as a result of what that is, you're seeing more and more chaos on our planet. You're seeing more and more chaos in your neighborhood. It's why you're seeing more and more chaos in your own life, to be honest. One, because of sin being in the earth. And two, because people are clamoring after sin right now. And you can't do that. God says, there in Galatians, it says, God cannot be mocked. What a man sows, he shall reap. Period. Thank God for Jesus, right? Who will pull all those weeds up for us by the grace of God and his forgiveness. 2 Timothy 3 says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Hmm. But we know that God is going to send his son Jesus again. And he's going to wrap up this age in the twinkling of an eye. Who will be here when this time comes? It's hard to know. Will it be us? Will it be our children? Maybe the next generation? All we know is that God has the last say on it all because he knows the end from the beginning. 1 John 4, 14, 3. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. Promises of Christ saying, I'm coming back. And those words are weighing upon this planet. He says, I'm coming again. And as sure as there is a sun and a moon and stars, it's going to happen in God's time. And Jesus warned us. He gave us many of these different uh, analogies and stories and parables saying, look, this is what it's going to be like. Everybody's going to say, well, he hasn't come in a long, long time. What he said is coming to nothing, so let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Boy, it kind of makes you wonder if we're living right there right now. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. See, Daniel got a picture. Daniel got a vision of who we now know as Jesus. And that's not the Jesus that came grew up as a baby among men. I was only part of it. What Daniel was seeing was the one who's coming again. 
So what was God thinking? He was fulfilling a promise, my friends. He was working within his creation. He was bringing forth his people and ultimately his son. From the moment the fall took place with Adam and Eve, it set forth the plans of God. So what was God thinking when Joseph was going through what Joseph was going through? When Jacob went through what Jacob was going through? When the Israelites went through 400 years of slavery and 40 years of being in the desert? And then all of the things that they went through, being under Roman rule and struggle and battle. Why? For one thing, and that was to bring forth the Redeemer of the earth to bring forth the Son of God. What was God thinking? God loves you, and he loves me, and he put it all on the line. The enemy was constantly trying to destroy God's creation, constantly trying to disrupt God's plans, trying to destroy his little boy Joseph, trying to destroy Jacob, trying to destroy his people, and he's still trying to do it even till this day. Anybody ever heard of the Holocaust? Because that's what Satan does. What was God thinking? God was doing an end around Satan. He was outplaying him because God knows the end from the beginning. God just says, I can see what you're doing. I know what you're going to play when you play it. I know exactly how you're going to try to disrupt and, and, and try to work around my plans. Everything, everything that Satan does plays right into God's hands including the attack against your life. That's what you're supposed to be getting today. What does it mean for me, pastor, you ask? Number one, God has plans for you. If God knows the end from the beginning, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, God, my father knows every hair in your head. That is true, believe it. Jesus did nothing for show. He said nothing. I mean, from time to time, I'm gonna, I'm gonna you know, take things and, 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 and blow them up a little bit. Jesus never did that. Never, never, never. He said, look, if it wasn't true, I wouldn't tell you. He minced no words. Poor guy was worn out doing 16-hour days. What he said was truth. And when he says God has a plan for you, you can believe it. Secondly, our mistakes and shortcomings are able to be used for his glory. We've been learning this. He uses every piece of our life experience. I don't know how many times I would look back at my life, especially as a young Christian, and I'd say, why did I have to go through all that? Why did I have to go through poverty? Why did I have to have the, the shame? Why did I have to watch my father go through a nervous breakdown? Why did I have to go, why, 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 why? And we have those questions, don't we? We do, be honest. But the closer I got to God, I began to see, wow. The more I submitted to him, the more I yielded to him, the more I said, Lord, take my past. He said, I'm going to use it for your future if you'll just let me. I was amazed that my suffering, that my struggle was an was a absolute platform for needing more of God. To take this 210-pound, much more now, but 210-pound young man and coming to him and saying, if you'll give it all, then I'll make sense of all of this. I had a couple of roads at that time. Either go on and be hell-bent 
and try to make the world pay? Or to yield to the living creator of my soul? And somewhere down the line, it would all make sense. That just like Joseph, I would be able to, in tears, look back at my family or to look back into the eyes of someone who's in my office or sitting in this pulpit this very day and be able to tell you, God can do it. God can use your mess and make a message. (laughs) He certainly can. Thirdly, God's plan for you will always prevail Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's what we're told in Romans chapter 8. And nothing can separate us from God's plan. So let me finish with this encouragement. In Psalm 145, 17 through 20, it says this. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all that he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him and he hears their cry and he saves them. Wow. That means we're going to have some crying times. And we've all had them. The Lord watches over all who love him. So good. So what was God thinking? Well, can I be perfectly straightforward with you? What was God thinking? God was thinking love because that's who he is. John told us that. God is love. And no one knew that better than John himself who spent the, more, the most time with him. And to say, and so, so we're interviewing him. Hey, John, can you tell us, can you give us like a paragraph? Can you give us a few words to describe who Jesus was? You spend all that time with him. Here's John. Um, love. That's all I can say. He's love. And that's who he is to you. That's who he is to me. What was God thinking? He loves you. And what the enemy means for evil for you, and sometimes we got to be honest with ourselves, sometimes we bring it upon ourselves, amen? Sometimes we do. But even then, God says, you're my child. I sent my son for you. I love you. And we're going to work through this. All of that, we're going to somehow work this all. Sometimes I have things that happen to us because of somebody else's sin. Sometimes it's because of our son. Sometimes it's just because we got the raw end of the deal. But even then, God says I can use it all. Do you see that this morning, my friends? Amen. Let's stand up this morning.